0: Hey, and welcome to the Pathway Church podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes, and remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. All right, Pathway Church, somebody give God a great big hand clap today. What a wonderful day in the house, and You know, let me just uh, hit you before we get started. A lot of great things going on. We're super excited. Foley Campus, we're super excited for what's happening. What has happened at Foley Campus has been so expedited. The whole story, I can't tell it all, but you need to know this, is that we were not planning on starting Foley Campus when we did. We had a small group that got out of control. It started growing. And then they were jealous that they didn't have a campus like everybody else. And so some of those guys got together, and they said, what if we paid for the first year of expenses on the property? And I told them I wasn't ready because we were building an airport campus. But, you know, faith is one thing, but a roll of $20 bills is something else. <laughs> and so they, let it, they, they got that stuff together. So we opened the campus, and to find Foley Campus, you had to be looking hard to get to it. At the same time, we had bought some property in Foley on 59 that we were just going to let them sit and wait until we were able to do something. And God just said, look, I appreciate your plans. That's really cute. But we're going to blow them up. And so now on August 13th, we're moving into a 20-acre, absolutely gorgeous, brand-new facility that we didn't even build. And Foley Campus is about to blow that whole place up. And so I think we just ought to celebrate the Lord uh, for that. And then I know also our, our crowds this summer have been much larger than what we're used to in the summer. Summer, usually people are out. Well, people are out, but our crowds are just bigger. And so bear with us, both at Moffat campus and airport campus if you're having to sit a little close or you do not not finding your seat we'll do our best to get the right number of seats out there are no more seats at airport campus and so we're figuring that out uh, you know we could be looking at additional services that's it right now we have six services on the weekends but we're going to figure out what's happening with airport campus and moffett campus in the meantime we do have a building coming to airport airport created a problem for us so on that first day there's not any room in that new building. Come on, somebody bless the Lord because souls are being saved and people are being added to the kingdom of God. Bow your heads with me today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time in worship. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church. Correction. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in your church. Lord, I pray that you would do all the things that we can't. And Father, you would set lives free, make us stronger, fully equip us for good works. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. There is an incredible scene in the show The Chosen. I can't recommend this show enough. It was right after the Sermon on the Mount, which is the the message that we're preaching. We've been preaching through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. The disciples come in just like they are. There's a fisherman. There's some brothers. There's Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, I love how they portray him. Because when I think of a tax collector, I stereotype an accountant a certain way. Come on, tell the truth. You all kind of have the same look. Matthew is all about the numbers. He's all about getting everything right and right where he wants it. He's writing down everything. He and Mary are watching Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew, who's almost devoid of emotion, has tears in his eyes. And he says something to Mary. He says, you know, I read it, but it's different when he preaches it. What you see in this scene is you see the unfolding of the gospel of God taking root in the lives of his disciples and the people that are coming to see him. In fact, I would say that when you were saved and how you are now is you have probably matured a bit. Now, you may be here because you've fallen away from the Lord, but you know, as a general principle, you can say that you have grown in understanding grown in grace and grown in your relationship with the Lord than when you first met Jesus. Now when you first met Jesus, when you first meet Jesus, there is an excitement and a zeal that's alive. That's alive. I hear some people say, oh don't worry, that'll wear off. Listen, don't listen to them. Don't let it wear off. But Pastor, you see how that kid's down there worshiping? Look, if you would get some of what he has, some things would be better around here. That's just all I'm saying. You know, there's something uh, uh, about our relationship with the Lord, that it, it's exciting when we first meet him, but then it matures and develops. And wh- it gets, I think what happens, it goes from our mind into our heart and into our hands, how we live. Matthew and Mary's conversation progresses, and in the next scene, you see Matthew standing at his father's door. Matthew's estranged from his fatherhood, Matthew is estranged from all of Israel because he's a Jewish tax collector. He's working for the Romans, and he's a really effective shakedown artist for these occupiers taking money from the Jews, giving it to Rome. And let me tell you, it had ramifications uh, for Matthew's family. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. He was a traitor. He was a Benedict Arnold. He had turned their back on his own people. And then he was living very well, very comfortable. All alone, hated, but very comfortable. His father had disowned him. In a previous scene, and, you know, of course, there's some license that's been taken in the movie Chosen. But in a previous scene, Matthew talks about his, how his father says he no longer has a son and there's no doubt there's relationships that are like that here today where there's tension in families tension in relationships great chasms between people Matthew goes to the door because the teaching of Jesus had taken root in his life and he wants to knock on the door but he's afraid and just about the time he decides to walk away, the dog barks. And the dad comes out. Alpheus comes out to see Matthew. Now, he didn't know it was Matthew, but when he opened the door, he sees Matthew. And Matthew says, Alpheus. You know, he doesn't say father. He doesn't say dad. But he was there trying to reconcile the brokenness in his life with the wholeness of the message of Christ that had taken root in his life. Pause just for a second. Is there anyone that has a hope and an expectancy about what God is doing in your life? And you believe he wants to do great things, but you can look in areas of your life and you say, it's not realized here. I've got a place here that's hurting and broken. But you're trusting in the name of the Lord. Is there anybody like that today. You say, I know God has a promise and a future and a hope for me, but he has it for you and you've not yet experienced it. You've believed on him for it and you're following him for it, but you're saying, there's some things I'm still waiting to see. Does anybody have a son or a daughter that's far from Jesus? You want to see him come home? Brother, sister, a parent, a loved one. you're, You're hoping for something that you know God has promised you. You're hoping to see it realized in your life. Come on, is that anybody here today? Amen. So Matthew says, "Alpheus," and his father, who says he has no son, looked at Matthew in the eyes, having known what had happened in Matthew's life, and quite possibly already having been touched by the teachings of Jesus himself, he looks at Matthew, who he denied was even his son, and he looks at him, and he, he doesn't say Matthew, he says, son. And what happens from there is Matthew goes in, they talk about all their differences, and... and Alpheus tells him about the cost that he paid because of his profession and the loss of friendship, the loss of status, the loss of business, how his house was taken from him, all of these things. And the father says, but I never should have abandoned you. Today I want to talk to you about Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 about how great a blessing there is wherever you find mercy. Say this with me. There is a great blessing in mercy. Matthew chapter five, verse seven. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now here's the reality. We need to understand this more than anything else. It is God's mercy that even makes it possible for us to come to Jesus. If it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God, we would ne- God never would have sent his son. What an incredible act of mercy that while we were yet in sin, Jesus died for us, whether we accept him or not. He laid down his life. Mercy. Now, God re- reveals himself in four qualities together, mentioned at least seven times in the Old Testament. I want to give these to you. God is all of these gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. his quality, even before the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And think about this. When God interacts with Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. And then he says, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. In faithfulness. So when God has mercy, I want you to understand that he also does have justice. Because if there's no justice, there can be no mercy. And when God calls us to mercy, he does not call us to abandon anger. There are some things in this world, some things that will happen to you, some things that will happen to people around you that ought to make you angry. You know, there are some things that if it didn't make us angry, they never would have been fixed. But notice the Lord says, I'm slow to anger. The Bible never tells us not to be angry. The Bible says to be angry and, oh, that was good. Be angry and sin sin not. Anger is a righteous gift given from the Lord, just like love is. Used improperly think about love. Love is love. No, Jesus is love. God is love. Love is not love. God is love. But is love wrong? No, love is not wrong. Love should be used according to God's plan. Anger is of the enemy. No, anger is of the Lord. Aren't you glad that when you fell and the enemy subverted our attention and and we rebelled against God, aren't you glad that God was angry enough to do something about those for whom he was jealous for, whom he created. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, think about it just for a second. God created us. He loved us. He knows exactly what you're like and what I'm like. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image of God. Can you believe that? I mean, stop and think about it. What are your insecurities? Certainly you have insecurities. God knew what he was doing when he put those things in you. He developed He developed you. Now we misuse qualities that God gives us and gifts that God gives us and, and our time and resources and all of these things, but God, he got angry enough that he stood up and he came down. And I'm really thankful for that. But boy, if he has anger, he has a lot of love. Full love. Of unfailing love and faithfulness. So he's patient. There's a patience here that's absolutely incredible. How many times, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand if you have kids. How many of you have kids and you love them and you go, I don't even know what I should do with you right now? (laughs) True story. I'm little, my mom said, Travis. I don't even, what should I do with you? And I say, keep me. I mean, I'm little. Hey, keep me. I thought she was serious. <laughs> I didn't get kicked out. I didn't get kicked out. I remember one time, Philip and I had a racquetball. We'd throw the racquetball in the house. My dad would be like, I don't throw the stuff in the house. And they would leave, and then we'd throw the stuff in the house. And my mom had these little figurines and we broke the figurines. My mom loved these figurines. I don't know why women like figurines. Little little things, things. We all have things. Everybody's got things. But we broke them. Man, I could see, man, my dad was so angry for my mom on her behalf. And I'm not going to get into all of what he did, but I remember that day. <laughs> I remember that day. And also, I had been saving money. And I, my dad, he would collect coins and little, you know, things. And I had saved money, and I had bought some silver coins. And he took my money to pay for my mom's figurines. It was all I had in the world. He took, all, he took all my possessions. <laughs> you know what? I know he was angry. God placed that in us. But thank God that that night I had a roof over my head and parents that loved me. And they fed me until the next time when I locked my brother in the garage. <laughs> and, and that was the next story. And they still kept me. They still kept me. God is is full of his unfailing love and his mercy, and he is slow to anger because of his mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we've been saved. The psalmist says, chapter 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God keeps us. He follows us with his grace and mercy so that we can be kept. I just want you to know God is not waiting on you to mess up so he can cast you away. But let me tell you, when you sin and you violate the character of God, I promise you, God is angry that you would profane the sacrifice that he made through Jesus. But boy, he sure does love you. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Not by our good works, but because of his mercy. I'm saved. Look how awesome I am. No, I'm saved. Look how gracious. And merciful of God, we serve. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Now, these are principles, general principles. Let's talk testimony. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, he reminds Timothy who he was. He says, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. I want you to think about who the Apostle Paul is just for a second. When we think of the Apostle Paul, you know, there are popes named after Paul. Pope John Paul. We we lionize Paul. Paul, the Apostle, was like Osama Bin Laden to the Christians. I want you to think about it. He looked for Christians so he could persecute them and terrorize them and kill them. He said, Timothy, this is my pedigree. This is where I come from. Now, he was a learned man. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He he was as educated as you could be. I mean, he was so well thought of. He was zealous. He held the cloaks, though, for those who martyred the first Christian, Stephen, as Stephen lost his life. When those Pharisees that did that, they turned to Paul and they said, here, hold my beer. That's what was going on. Paul standing there holding the robes for those who would kill Stephen. He watched. He was an accomplice to this terrible and vicious crime. And the apostle Paul says, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God in our lives? and it wasn't just paul i mean i'm reminded of peter who after all peter had seen after after jesus had done so much great work through peter then peter denied jesus when jesus is at the point of his greatest need peter was at the point of his greatest failure And this was no surprise to the Lord either. I mean, he had already told Peter, Satan desires to sift you. And I want to say this to all of you. Satan desires to sift you. He wants to torment you. He wants to tear you down. He wants to deconstruct you. He wants to cause you to fail. He wants to cause you to backslide. He wants to cause you to doubt. He wants to cause you to hurt those who have hurt you. He wants to cause you to violate God's will and his future for your life. It didn't surprise God that this had happened to Peter. Thank God for God's great mercy in Peter's life because Peter overcame what tried to take him out. And then who is it that gets to preach the great message on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church? It was Peter, 3,000 people come to know Jesus and are baptized in that same day. I can just picture what it was like at the beach. They were at the beach they're baptizing. they're swole after this. Baptized so many people, they're tired, exhausted. It must have been amazing. Remember last week when we were doing baptism here at Moffitt campus, we had to baptize all through the whole worship service because there are so many people that need to be baptized. But 3,000 people were baptized on that day, and God chose Peter. Why? because of his mercy there is great blessing and mercy it's not only Peter, it's not only Paul but it was also Thomas who had been so close to Jesus and after the crucifixion you know the crucifixion then there's the burial, everyone's heartbroken the women go to the tomb faithful of course they were so faithful too at the cross even after all the disciples but John had left Jesus his mother was still there The women go and see that the tomb is empty. They run back and they tell. Peter and John take off running. John beats Peter to the tomb. John gets there and stands at the tomb. Peter goes on in. I think that, I picture that. That was my dad and that was me. I remember the first time I started beating my dad in everything. And you know, a dad's got to figure out how to appropriate all those feelings, right? You got to have a plan for that stuff. So far, my son has not been able to whoop me. I can take him down like a joker. Not a problem. Right? Um, baby, I'm sorry about the couch. I didn't mean to break it the other day. Um, but I remember when I first beat my dad, he looked at me and said, son, you might be able to run up the hill faster than me, but at least I know what to do once I get there. I thought it was pretty good, right? <laughs> it was pretty good. So John beats Peter to the tomb. Peter gets there, and Peter goes in. Peter and John run back. They tell everybody everyone's freaking out. They're excited. Jesus is resurrected. Some 500 witnesses see Jesus, and then there's Thomas. Even though everybody's seen Jesus, Thomas says, well, I believe it, not when I see it, but when I touch it. When I touch, when I put my finger into his wounds, then I believe it. Can you imagine that? But let me tell you, God had mercy on Thomas. Hey, that's just the business that he's in, full of mercy. Now, I guess here's a question that I have. How could a God who is so full of mercy and grace and goodness have a church that is so tight with everybody, lacking mercy? You would think that people who have been forgiven of a lot would be thankful for a lot and would also demonstrate mercy. It, but it, and it is true. I mean, there's no doubt. When you have been saved and you have a revelation that you've been saved and what's happened in your life, it, you might be like Matthew, that it took a little while to digest exactly what's happened. Then once you realize that you've been shown mercy, then you will want to show mercy. I think the church ought to be a place of extravagant grace. And goodness to one another. Now, let me me give you some opportunities really quickly for how you can show mercy. You know, some practical ways, because it's really nice to talk about this, but then we're gonna go get in a parking lot and we're gonna drive. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a lot of people that are woefully unprepared for driving, and I'm going, where did they get their license? Pathway Church, we can change the world, okay? Would you join me really quick? Now, this isn't one on my list, but we can show mercy to people. By driving in the right lane, you know? If you're going to drive slow, don't do it in the left lane. Okay, that's just a little (sighs) goose rabba, you know? (laughs) Okay, here's where we can show some mercy. When you meet someone who has a need. I like what Pastor Tommy Barnett uh, says when he was pastoring Phoenix First Assembly, first pastor's conference I ever went to. It was called Pastor's School at the great church, Phoenix First Assembly of God on Cave Creek. Today it's called Dream City Church. My friends Luke and Angel Barnett pastor there. It's an amazing place. That church was built on this principle. He would say, find a need and meet it. It's awesome. When you meet someone with a need, meet it. Secondly, an opportunity to show mercy is with a fellow believer who's struggling with their walk with God. Jude, verse 22, Jesus' half-brother, his younger brother, he says to have mercy on those who doubt. You know, it's possible to be a Christian that struggles with doubt. And here's what I would say is have patience with people as they grow in God's grace. We are not meeting you at the door of Pathway Church to decide if you're holy enough. We're not meeting you at the door to decide if you're mature enough. Just as you are without one plea. I I believe you, you ought to be able to come to Jesus exactly how you are. But I also know that God loves you way too much to leave you just as you are. God wants to do a great work in us, but how in the world is he going to do a great work in the world if we won't even let the world come into the church? Did we forget who we are? Did we forget where we've come from? Or did you just wake up saved? Did you, were you just born saved? Because that's not how it worked for me. I, my, I lined up with the word of God. I was biblical on the day I was born. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I embodied that verse. So if God could make room for us, can't we make room for people? Warren Weersby. he was looking back on his life and he said, you know, if there was one thing that I could do differently, then I would spend a lot more time encouraging people. I think the body of Christ in the church of Jesus Christ ought to be one of the most encouraging places on the planet. The whole world is canceling everybody. But here in the church, what we're going to do is we're going to fan into flame that faith. We're going to encourage one another in your most holy faith. But pastor, I just don't agree with them on that. Listen, if you have to agree with everybody about everything, you better be prepared to be lonely in life how about this there are a lot of things that we get all twisted up over that they are not essential to faith they are disputable things there are things that are there are some things that is my conviction It's my conviction not yours it's not a rule in the Bible but the Lord has convicted me about a thing who am I to lay that on you did I just get into something I'm not supposed to? Why are you looking at me like that for? Yeah, right. Let's encourage one another. Let's encourage one Let's also recognize there are a lot of people within the church that have different levels of maturity. And if you're dropping a hammer on people when they're a little baby, you gotta, you gotta help the toddlers get to the coffee table. Prop them up on the coffee table. You know what I'm saying? They're just kind of hanging out there just in, in the diaper and, you know, it, chill out in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> Relax, relax. Now, if you've been in the faith for 30 years and you're still acting like a baby and the toddler on the coffee table, now we got to talk. That's a problem, don't you think? That wasn't in my first service. But he would encourage more people. How many people have stepped out in their walk for Christ and left because they felt discouraged like they wouldn't be able to make it? Pathway Church, let's lock arms with one another. Let's not leave anybody behind. What an awesome family. What an awesome family. Do you realize what you're a part of? You're a part of the largest global multinational company ever. It produces more. It has done more than any organization anywhere at any time. Who has built more hospitals, more schools, more children's homes? Who has fed more people than the Church of Jesus Christ? And on top of that, while the whole world is so busy deconstructing the nuclear family, the gospel of Jesus is raising people up uh, to to know and to, to love one another and to care for one another, and God is stitching people back together, reconciling relationships, renewing broken hearts. You know, sometimes I have people say, hey, you preach about abortion. It hurts people. Listen, it hurts the baby. You want me to avoid all the topics that hurts people's feelings? Listen, here's what I know about things like abortion and divorce and theft and broken heart and abuse and all of those things. Here's what I know. God forgives and he heals and he transforms and we ought to be so happy about that. The fact that we've sinned and, and God has called it sin does not mean that God doesn't have mercy. The fact that we're still here and loved in spite of what we've done is proof of God's mercy. It's incredible. I mean, really. It, 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 am I the only one that when I lay down to go to sleep, sometimes I think about something I've done, and I'm just like, I can't believe I did that. And God's saying, don't worry, Travis, I can handle it. I've already forgiven it. You're good. God's mercy. Opportunity to, to demonstrate mercy when someone falls in such a way to be greatly embarrassed. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. If someone sins, restore them. Don't put them on blast. If someone sins... Invite Jesus to heal them. If your spouse, think about this. How many times have you done or said something embarrassing? I'm not even talking about sin. Have you ever just done something? Have you ever just, you know what's terrible? is When you show up, you got lettuce in your tooth. This this is what's awesome. When somebody texts you and they're like, hey, pastor, you got a little piece of lettuce in your tooth. You're like, thank you, bro. (laughs) But then somebody's like, hey, pastor, you got lettuce in your tooth. And you are like, thank you for telling everybody. You know, you know what I'm saying. Like, there's a difference in the body of Christ. We can cover one another. And let me tell you what Peter didn't say. He didn't say love covers a multitude of crimes. And so I'll tell you what I tell you all the time. If you're in a marriage and your husband is beating the fool out of you, don't call me. Call the police. There's a difference. There's a difference. Can you show mercy when a crime has been committed? Yes, but it is never appropriate for spiritual leaders to use Scripture to cover and enable abuse. And look, Scripture is clear about that, and there's plenty of examples in the world. There are entire denominations that are wrestling with this right now because things were not handled properly. Here's what I'm saying, man. Let's love Jesus. Let's love one another. Let's work through things the best we can, to the best of our ability, for the glory of God and the working, the work and the lives of His people. Let's do that. Hey, would you struggle through that with me? Would you? We'll all try and work that out together, amen. Somebody, if you want to see the mercy of God in the relationships that you have, in the relationships of the church, would you just bless the Lord? Let's thank Him because He's working. He's working. The pastor, you know, I mean, you really—we should just kind of move on past that. Listen, Jesus, when He declared His ministry, said He came to set at liberty those who are captive. You cannot set at liberty those who are captive if you enable the captor to keep the captive captive. Hmm. But we're going to work through it. Amen? Amen. Amen. How else can we show mercy? How we treat information and rumors. show mercy by having realistic expectations. How, m- how many of you have married for less than five years? Raise your hand. Married for less than five years. <laughs> so I see that. I see there's all, all these very polite, um, like you're a Pentecostal at the Presbyterian church service, trying to raise your hands. Nobody can see you in behind you, right? Okay, let me, let me just give you a, a little help. Have realistic expectations for your spouse. Because it takes some work, okay? Show mercy, show mercy. It's, a, it's like a gift. You're given a gift. We can show mercy when someone does us wrong. And then the greatest way that we can show mercy is by sharing the gospel with someone. And actually, Philip, if you could go ahead and come, it would be great. A lot of times we think, you know, I don't want to offend this person. When we share the gospel, we think, I don't want to offend this person. Let let me give you a reality check for a second, okay? You're looking at the wrong thing. You're asking the wrong questions. Am I going to hurt their feelings? If someone is driving a car towards a bridge and you know that the bridge is out, are you going to say, I don't want to interrupt their Sunday drive? Or are you going to say, I want to save their life? Listen, the only thing that is wrong today is saying that there is a such thing as right and wrong. We think there is no absolute truth it's about your truth truth is relative, it's what you feel it is not what you feel there is right, there is wrong there is a heaven, there is hell there is good and there is evil there is a God who loves us and created us and there is a Satan who wants to destroy us but pastor their lifestyle and listen, do you love them? do you love them? share Jesus with them How do you come to Christ? Somebody extended mercy to you. How does God forgive? God forgives where a wrong has been committed, where wrong's been committed. And God forgives, secondly, God forgives when a wrong has been committed and when repentance starts, which is so powerful to me. It's this incredible picture well, I need to know that they really mean it. And, but think about this. Think about the prodigal who had left, spent his inheritance. He measures things up and says, I should go back to my father. I could be a hired hand. Things would be better for me. The father every day, standing on the front of his porch, looking out to see if his son was coming home, one day looks out and there is his son off in the distance. The father didn't say, you left this porch and I'm not moving until you come back to this porch. But the Bible says, while he was yet a long way off, the father ran to him. Forgiveness starts when repentance begins. Today, there will be people in these services that are going to make a decision to repent. You cannot raise your hand fast enough to beat God forgiving you. You cannot get to the altar quick enough so that you would beat God to this altar. As soon as you begin to move to God, God begins to move to you. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And God is a whole lot faster than we are. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outlove God. You cannot outmercy God. God is unbelievably incredible in his ability, his capacity to love and to forgive. And when you don't think that you deserve it, God says, try me, test me. See if I can't bless you. See if I can't forgive you. See if I can't love you. In fact, if you'll think about this, while you were yet in sin, God beat you to the punch. Whether you accepted him or not, whether you accepted his mercy or not, he still sent his son to die for us. There was an altar call. And whether you show up or not, whether you choose Jesus or not, Jesus went to that altar and laid down his life for you. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us slash give. We'll see you next week.